Dear God, I thank you for today, a start of a new series. What does it mean to be a man and what does it mean to be a woman in your eyes in a fallen world? We need your help and we need to look to your word. And so God, please uh, uh, may the words of your words pierce into our hearts and show us. So God, uh, help us, help us to learn. In your name, amen. Alright, so I guess before we even jump into all these topics, something I want to talk about today that is common to every human being who's ever lived is the issue of identity. Identity. It's something every teenager goes through. The biggest question most teenagers ask, if not all of them, is the question, who am I? Who am I? That is a question most teenagers are asking. And I don't mean in a literal sense. I know you know your name, but everyone is trying to figure out what they want to be known for. Everybody is trying to figure out what they want to be known for and the person they want to be. If you're sitting here right now, you're probably not sure what you want to do when you grow up. Maybe some of you guys do. You're not sure what kind of friends you want to have long term. And you're still kind of like wet cement. You haven't hardened yet. And you're still figuring out who you want to be. And so that's something that uh, before we can even tackle what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman, we have to understand what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be a Christian in God's eyes? And so that talks and touches upon the area of identity. And today I want to... Uh, See three aspects of your identity in Christ. And so today, if you're not a Christian, I want you to discover what does it mean to have your identity in Christ. And if you are a Christian, maybe it's less discovering and it's more remembering. Remembering who you are in Christ. And so I know the phrase, where do you place your identity, maybe that's kind of abstract. Maybe we don't use that a whole lot. Um, But... Asking yourself the question, what do you want to be known for? What do you want people to think of you when you pop into their mind? That's an identity. That's the person you want to become. And I want to show you and share with you a little bit about the person I wanted to be in high school. Um, And it's bullet points. I don't want to show pictures. (laughs) So uh, I wanted to be known for things that uh, people would see me as this. I wanted to be a varsity athlete, not a bench player. Uh, I played volleyball, and I always, I said this in youth service, but I always wanted to make it to the newspaper. Uh, There was a section just for varsity sports, and I always wanted to make it. I wanted to have my name uh, spoken about, but um, that was never my destiny. (laughs) I did become a varsity athlete, but my senior year, my younger brother surpassed me, and he started over me. So, uh... There you have it. Pack <laughs> dreams, eh? Um, so, what I also want to be known as is a fun and a funny person to be around. I didn't want people to see me as awkward. Um, I went to a high school that was, you know, half Asian and half white, and I wanted to be accepted by both. I wanted to be accepted by both, and sometimes I didn't always know how. And I wanted people to think of me as this. Um, I wanted to be dressed in the right brands. You might not recognize Hurley. Maybe you do. But I wanted to wear Volcom. I saw the Volcom wallet from 8th grade. I wanted to wear Quicksilver, Vans, or Converse. Um, And I would pay $50 for a pair of Converse. And 
some things don't got out of style, and I think they're still they're still in because I'm still wearing them. So uh, there you go. But I wanted to. I saw the popular kids in high school, and I want to dress like them because they're well liked when they wear that. So maybe I will be. And I know today it's like what uh, Supreme or Pink or Ish or, or whatever, something like that. Uh, Ulta, so stuff like that. Um, like dressing the right brands. I also want to uh, have clear skin, no pimples, and Justin Bieber skater hair. Uh, that was a thing back then. Uh, if you. If you have long hair, that, that was a good thing. And I think counselors here can affirm that was a fact. Um, and uh, yeah, you had something going on for you if you had long hair. And that was good. Um, so I try to do that, but you don't want to work out. All right, guys, let's bring it in. Uh, another thing I want to be known as, I didn't want to be a nerd, but I want to be smart enough where the honor students kind of like being around me. Um, that was kind of hard, because you can't really toe the line. You're either one or the other, but I can never really get here. Another one, I wanted to have an interesting and a poppin' social media profile with thousands of friends and photos. So, um, on Facebook, which I know most of you guys don't use, I would, uh, I would have my mom's camera from Costco, and I'll just document everything. And I'd upload these albums, I would tag myself because I want to increase the number of photos I was tagged in. And I thought, wow, the number on the photos tagged in, that, that's pretty cool. Like, there's a lot of photos, that means I've been around in a lot of places. And I wanted to have a lot of friends, and this is why I, I wanted to be known as someone who had a lot of friends. Um, and then, thirdly, I want to be someone, a girl, would want to go to prom with. I uh, saw, <laughs> actually, no. I saw pictures with people going on prom dates, doing all these interesting things, and I'm like, I wonder what it's like to be on the other side, to be that, that guy. Um, and that's something that I wanted. And so I want to ask you guys a question. What about you? What do you want to be known for? What is the person you're trying to become? It might not be any of these. Um, it could be something else. Do you want to be smart? at the top of your class? Do you want to be accepted into that university so parents and students will be impressed by you? Do you want to be the top, um, the president of your club, the best at your instrument? Um, do you want to have the best body, the most beautiful, the funniest, the pop most popular? Or maybe it's even so basic that you just want to be noticed and you just want to have a group of friends to go to during lunchtime. What kind of person are you trying to become? That will be your identity. And so throughout today's sermon, um, I want to occasionally include snippets from the children's story to illustrate some of my points. Um, and the book that I want to share with, it just popped into my mind this past week, is the book called You Are Special. Maybe some of you guys have read it. Um, but it's about a world of wooden puppets. They're called lemons. A weird name, I know. But in this world, every Wemmick, they had a certain way of defining someone's identity. If they liked you, they would stick a gold star on you. If they didn't like you, they would stick a black dot on you. Now, how would you earn these gold stars? It's really weird. You would have to do something impressive. You would have to have smooth wooden skin, maybe bright paints. You would have to be able to lift heavy things, jump high, 
no big words. And so, um, oh yeah, that's part of that. So this is kind of what it looks like. Yeah, it's kind of scary. You see people with stars and people with, with dots. And if you did something dumb or foolish, uh, or you were ugly, you would get a black dot. But if you're good, you did something impressive, you get a gold star. And it sounds a whole lot like Instagram with these likes and trying to earn all these affirmations. It's eerily similar. Uh, but there was one Wemmick named, let's see if I pronounce it right, Punchinello. I think that's how you say it, Punchinello. And he wasn't very impressive, not very talented, not very good looking. And all he got was gray dots. This is him. Poor guy, right? He's just kind of there watching. He was never good enough. And you could say that Punchinello found his identity in these gold stars. You could say more in the absence of these gold stars. He was never good enough to get these gold stars. He only got black dots. And so that's all he got. He felt like he was nothing. He felt like no one. He felt like a nobody. And so what Punchinello wanted to, what he needs to realize is to find his identity in God. And often, uh, he'd spend his nights just alone. Black dots, no gold stars, and wondering if he even mattered. And so he needed to find his identity in God. And so we'll revisit the story of this sad wooden man throughout the sermon. But I feel like we have to realize we have the same problem. We have an identity crisis. We put our identity in gold stars, what people think of us. But if you're a Christian, your identity is not in these gold stars. Your identity is in Christ alone. So we're going to go through two questions today, uh, what it means to find your identity in Christ. The first is, what does that mean? What does it mean to find my identity in Christ? And we're going to show three ways how to do that, or three um, aspects of that. And number two, how should this impact the way I live? If you're a Christian, you don't have to be worried. Your identity is already in Christ. It's more of a matter of realizing that, remembering that, saying, oh yeah, that's who I am, and going back to those truths over and over again. So we're going to read a letter, actually just one verse from a book, but that's going to um, bring us into other passages. But the half-brother of Jesus wrote this book. And it's often overlooked because of how short it is. Um, but this half-brother of Jesus, he wrote this book to warn his audience about false teachers in the church that are mixing true doctrine with false heresy. And his purpose is to confront anything that might damage the Christian faith. This was relevant for Christians back then uh, who were under attack from false uh, religions. And so today, that's relevant for us. So today, we're just going to look at the greeting, which is the very first uh, couple verses of the book. And I want you guys to notice how the author identifies the audience. There are three aspects there that will show us about our Christian identity. So let's look at this letter that the half-brother of Jesus wrote. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jude, the half-brother of Jesus. It is the second-to-last book in the New Testament. Turn to the book of Jude.
incalcabile. All right, give you guys a couple more seconds, Jude. And I'll begin reading. Remember, it's just one verse. I'll read it out loud. Here's what it says in the ESV. Verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now here's the greeting. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We're going to stop there because that's really all we're going to go into. But here's the first aspect about your identity in Christ. First one is this, that you are called. That's the first aspect of your identity, that you are called. And I know we know this term. It's not a casual, hey, I wonder what Todd is doing. Hey, Kevin, can you just give him a call? And then I call Todd. That, that's not what I'm talking about. That, that's too casual. This is something much more different Jude is addressing an audience who is called by God the Father. When God calls you, it's not some sort of mysterious knocking on your door. It's something greater. If you are a Christian, or in the future you will be a Christian, God has called you and he has elected you to be chosen by God to be his child before the world even began. And so if I were to define that this call, it's related to something um, and equals God's irresistible call to salvation upon sinful human beings. If you remember the time that you became a Christian, you might say to yourself, I chose God. I, I was there, my Sunday school teacher asked me if I wanted to be a Christian. I remember saying yes, so I chose God, right? But this verse actually says that wasn't the first move. The first move was that God called you, opened your heart to see the beauties of the gospel, and enabled you to respond to his initial call. That's that's what it means. And so, uh, it's the verse over there. God's call, and I go there, is God's irresistible elective call to salvation upon sinful human beings. I want to look at Ephesians verse uh, 1, or chapter 1, verses 3 to 4, just to briefly look at this. Uh, this is the doctrine of election if uh, you're a junior or senior in Sunday school. You probably touch upon this. But let's read verses 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every <clears throat> spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Stop there. This is the doctrine of election in full force here. That before the world was even created, thousands of years ago, before your parents even existed, God knew you. Before your own mom or dad knew what your personality was like, God knew exactly what you were like. And the original language of call here. Uh, communicates the sense of, I picked out for myself. God did not just randomly choose you. He picked you out for himself before even the world began. And you know what that means? He knew the mistakes you're going to make before being a Christian 
He knew the mistakes that you would make after being a Christian. But while you're still sinners, Christ died for you and God chose you. It has nothing to do with who you are as a person. It has everything to do with God and His mercy. We didn't even exist in order to say, Hey, look, God, I, I go to FCBC Walnut. I, I go to Sunday school. I, I don't curse when the teacher says to be quiet. I, I'm quiet, so I'm at least, you can at least work with me, right? We didn't even exist in order to make that plea. And even our good works are filthy rags in God's eyes. So God is not looking at who you are as a person in order to base uh, his choice and electing call upon you. It's based on his character, not on the kind of person you are. Now, to be clear, mankind, you're, you're still responsible to, re- to respond to salvation. Uh, but if God's chosen you one way or another, we won't be able to resist. We cannot deny God. He will have his way with us. And look, if you need proof, look at the life of Paul, who tortured and, and killed Christians, but yet uh, Christ turned him into um, a man after God's own heart, who loved God. That's what it means to be called by God. And maybe you guys have that experience. Imagine this moment, it's recess, playing kickball or soccer. Two team captains, probably the people who play soccer. It's always unfair. (laughs) And unless you play soccer, you're going to be on that line where they choose people. And if you don't play soccer, uh, you know you're not going to get chosen. They always pick the person to the right. Oh, he's got strong legs. Let's, Let's pick him. Oh, he's fast. I want him. Oh, he can be a goalie. He can catch balls. He's very uh, agile. But you know there's nothing really special about you, and so you know you're not chosen. Now, I want to tell you this is actually a bad illustration because in reality, none of us have any qualities to offer God. We've already been disqualified because of our sin, but God chooses us despite knowing we have nothing to offer. He chooses you to be a part of his family to wash your sins because of his great mercy. The first aspect of your identity is that you are called and selected by God on high. Doesn't that establish some sort of significance within you? Because God cares about you. That's the first aspect. That you are called by God. But what's the second one? And it's related. It's often heard one but that you are loved by God. That's the second aspect, that you are loved by God. And I have the same verse up there from Jude. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. You are beloved by your Heavenly Father. Does that hit you differently? Does that strike you in any way whatsoever? Or is that just a common Christian phrase? Let's, let's just pause there and ask yourself that there is the maker of the universe. He's not just a distant maker and king. He is as intimate as a father and he loves you. You are beloved by him. I, I fear that being in church, we often get uh, calloused or hardened to this. But this is a glorious 
truth of God, that he is your father. And it touches upon the doctrine or the truth of adoption. I want to look at a verse from Romans 8. It says this, Romans 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. When you, just be, when you become a Christian, you don't just become a lowly slave of God. The verses in the Bible depict the honor of being a slave for a good king. But you are more than that. The Holy Spirit, it says it bears witness that you are God's son. You are God's daughter. The Holy Spirit produces an awareness within you that you have a heavenly father. That you matter to someone. Maybe not to anyone in your life if you feel that way, but you matter to someone up there. In the Roman culture, there had to be seven witnesses to affirm that adoption was official. Uh, in this case, in salvation, the Holy Spirit is that witness. He affirms that you are the children of God. And get this, if you are a Christian... The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that dwells within you. That's what you have within you. The Spirit of God dwells within you. And I I think this verse is so beautiful. It says, the Spirit enables us and invites us to cry out to our Heavenly Father the way a child calls out to his dad when he falls and and breaks his leg. That, That term there, Abba, it's Aramaic, and it's this intimate term of father. It's like, um, I would call my dad, hey, papa, like that. I think, um, I don't call anyone else in my life that, um, but I call my dad that. And it had a very intimate meaning. Uh, it shows a sense of dependence and intimacy and tenderness, that I'm not afraid to be who I am in, uh, with my dad. So I don't know what you call your dad. It's Baba, Pops, Daddy-o. Um, but God is closer to you than even your earthly father. That you're allowed to relate to God, your father, even more closely than your earthly dad. And that might sound crazy. Here's the opposite side. If you have a broken relationship with your dad, it might make it a lot harder to have a close relationship with God. Because when we think of our Heavenly Father, we'll automatically transfer our earthly relationship with our dads to um, our Heavenly Father. For example, I I knew knew my dad loved me. I always knew he was distant, though. He always had to be at work. I knew he loved me. Always had to be at work, though. And sometimes I think that about God. God, I know you love me. But sometimes I don't always know if you're that close to me. But I know you're there for me. And so t- sometimes I just go about life just forgetting to interact closely with God. Even though I know he loves me. So that might be even something deeper to I mean, reflect on your own. What's your earthly relationship with your dad like? How does that affect your um, heavenly relationship with, with your father? But this is crazy going back to this truth. That you have received a spirit of adoption. No longer slaves and sons of Satan and of sin, but you are now sons of God the Father. 
That's, that's beautiful. Sometimes when I go to my friend's house, his mom's name is uh, uh, Shirley. So I call her, hey, Auntie Shirley. And I'm respectful to her. She's respectful to me. Hey, Auntie Shirley, thanks for having me over. Thanks for making this dinner. Um, and sometimes when I sleep over, oh, thanks for just letting me sleep over. Um, and sometimes I'll joke around. I'll say, oh, hey, Mom. And she'll be like, oh, hey, favorite son, while my friend is right there. And uh, he's like, what? <laughs> um, and I know it's a joke deep down. She doesn't really see me and love me as a son. If I broke down or if my car broke down on a freeway or I forget my wallet at home, I'm not going to call Auntie Shirley. I know she cares about me, but she doesn't care about me in that way. I would call my dad or, or my mom because I know they wouldn't be annoyed at me. Auntie Shirley's great, but she's not my father. She's, she's not a parental figure, obviously. Um, but when God sees you, he's not a distant friend's dad. He's not just nice or polite to you. He loves you the way a loving father fully embraces his own child. He's crazy about you. He sees you as his own true son and daughter. In Psalms it says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. God is a father who has so much love for you that you don't even know. It would be like if you took the entire contents of the ocean and you splashed it on, let's say Spencer had a Dixie cup just this small, and the entire contents of the ocean just splashed onto Spencer. And he had just this one little Dixie cup, just this small. And even though that Dixie cup is full, there is, I don't know how much contents there are in the ocean, but God's love is like that. As much as we think we've experienced God's love, there is just so much more that we have not truly experienced, that we have not scratched the surface. God loves you as his own child, even if you're the problem child, even if You're the troubled child, and I know we all have those aspects in our life. He loves you while you are still a sinner, because he is a good father. And I think that's the thing, leading to our third point. Sometimes we think if we're the troubled child, maybe people won't love us anymore. Maybe people will just drop us. If we're the problem child and people are annoyed of us, maybe they won't love me the more they get to see me. But that's why the third aspect of our identity is so crucial. That you are kept by God. That is the third identity. That you are kept by God. Same verse, let me read it again. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. To those who are called, first aspect, beloved in God the Father, second aspect. And third, kept for Jesus Christ. Sometimes we may have the thought, what if I really believe I'm a Christian and I try to, to be good? I, I try to be good for God. But what if, like, down the line, when I get older, what if I forget? What if I just hit a rough patch? What if I somehow lose my grip on Christianity? And God sees that. He's like, hey, see, I told you. If you forget me, then I'll forget you. Sometimes we might have that doubt. But this verse, it illustrates a powerful truth. Once saved, always saved. And we repeat that again. 
Once saved, always saved. That one, if you give your life to God and he truly converts you, then and you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ for your sins, and there's evidence in your life that you're actually a genuine believer and there's fruit, God secures your salvation. There is nothing on this earth, life, death, illness, the sword, weapons, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Even if you stumble and fall and struggle with um, sin, habitual sin, over and over again, God's love says that He will keep you. God keeps you. Here's another verse where you see this from. Once saved, always saved. From, uh, we see this from Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And in this book, Paul is actually writing this letter. He writes this letter with confidence that when God begins a job, he's not going to leave it unfinished. There is no unfinished business in God's eyes. If you are a Christian, maybe you're a broken Christian and you know all the broken things in your life, God sees you as a work in progress. You're a piece of art that is there but you're in need of change. You might be cracked, crumbled, stomped upon, but God works. He cleans you up little by little until by the time you enter heaven, you are perfect and complete. But it's going to take an entirety of your life for God to work on you. (laughs) Spiritual growth is really slow. Spiritual growth is super, super slow. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. God works on his own timing. Sometimes uh, when I was younger in high school, I liked to uh, Photoshop pictures. Actually, I still do, but not as much time. But I would just grab pictures together, try to string them together. But you know what? If you mess with Photoshop, you'll notice that there's a lot of unfinished projects. 60 to 70% of the time, I don't really finish my projects. And it's really ugly. I just see my folder. Uh, It's like Untitled 1, Untitled 2. and uh, It's all the same. There's... It's not finished. I just want to hit file, new project, and just hit the reset button. But that's not how God operates. Sometimes when I'm frustrated with a project, a Photoshop project, and I just want to exit out because, all right, there's nothing good here. It's a dead end. But when God sees you, and he sees maybe the sin that you're in, the muck that you're in, he's okay with that. He will bring you, and He will sanctify you. God keeps you. You are called by God, you are loved by God, and you are kept by God. This is your identity. Three aspects of your Christian identity, and this is where you find your worth. So let me revisit the story of uh, Punchinello, uh, the man who could never get that gold star. Here's what happens. He meets someone very, very different. Here's who he meets. Her name's Lucia. Good name. And she has no gold stars. And she has no black dots. She's got nothing. And Punchinelli, he thinks this. That's the way I want to be. I don't want anyone's marks. And Punchinello, he asks Lucia, how did you get that way? And she points to a house on the hill 
And a man who lives there, his name's Eli, and she says, he's the one who made all of us. If you want to be like how I am, go visit him. And so that's what he does. He walks up the hill, opens the door, steps inside, and he just sees a man working at a table. Punchinello, he can't see the man's face. Is he scary? Is he friendly? What's he like? Does he say hello? He just sees a man working. And so I don't know if he thinks it's a good idea or not. Maybe he try to turn to leave. But then the man, Eli, he calls his name. Punchinello. Is that you? Punchinello, I'm so glad you're here. Come here. And he brings him on top of his table. He's just there, making another puppet. He wants to get a better look at him. And he says to Punchinello, Wow, looks like you've been given some really bad marks. Punchinello says, I didn't mean to, Eli. I I really tried hard. I I didn't mean to. And Eli says, Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other women think. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're wives, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. Now, I think you're pretty special. And he looks at him, and he says these powerful phrases, the stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. And you have to wonder, has anyone ever expressed love to Punchinello before in his life? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's never had someone say, I think you're special. I don't think he's ever had anyone say that before his own maker, Eli, to say this to Punchinello This changes everything about how he sees his life. Isn't that the secret to your identity? The more you trust in God's love, the more you anchor yourself in the life of God, and the less you really care what people think about you. When you try to place your identity in things like how smart you are, the grades that you can get, all these gold stars, the, the popularity contests, the boyfriends and girlfriends, all these social media likes and comments. We're afraid of the black dots. We're afraid of people labeling us. But isn't that, that's such a prison to live in. All we have to do is to look at our maker, Eli, to remember our maker and our father and to trust his love. And once you taste of how good God is, what's like to be with him, you won't want to go back to the prison of earning gold stars and black dots. So here's my big idea for today. Oh, there's, there's the quote. Here's my big idea. Don't let outside opinions, personal failure, or individual achievements define you. We already know we're sinful. <laughs> that defines us. We're fallen. We're corrupt. But this is your Christian identity. Remember your Christian identity. You are called by God to be his child. You are loved so much that Christ died for you while you're still sinners. And you are kept eternally secure in Christ.
if you remember these things and you go back to these things, you'll be in a good place. You'll be secure in Christ. Your identity will be in Christ. And you kind of have to wonder, well, I wonder how Punchinell responded after this powerful encounter. It would be crazy if he just left that house and says, oh, that was cool. All right, back to work. And he went back down to uh, his village and tried to earn gold stars again. That would be insane. He saw the one who fundamentally shifted his life. He would be foolish not to go back to him. And so this is my application for us today. Treat every past achievement, present desire, and future goal as worthless compared to knowing Christ personally. Here's here's why I get this. From Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 8. It says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. If you read the verses earlier, verses uh, 4 four to 6, you'll see that Paul was very spiritual. He had a great resume. If he was alive here today, Paul would be that model person, that model student. He'll be serving in, in Gap and Unicoi leadership. He'd probably be a youth service officer, president if there was a position, probably be in, uh, found, found, finding the, founding the Christian club at your high school. Maybe he'd convert five non-believers per week, winning Bible Jones Speakers Tournament. Paul would probably be like the perfect religious person if he lived here. But he says this, none of that matters compared to knowing Christ. And this isn't just knowledge about God, because I think everyone here has knowledge about God. What I think a lot of us struggle with is actually knowing God. Do you know God? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you even talk to Him? I'm not talking about the ritualistic prayers. Dear God, thank you for this day. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm talking about genuine heartfelt prayers to your Father. Do you know God? Is there that relationship with Him? Paul viewed this as the greatest thing on earth. And he was willing to suffer the loss of all things. Are you willing to regard your grades, your popularity, your beauty, your social status as secondary compared to knowing Christ? Look at the way you value prayer or reading the Bible. The way you value church. Those things lead us closer to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ above all is the only natural response of encountering Him. I want to show this last picture from the story. Same quote. The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. As Punchinello turns away, slightly believing maybe, maybe that's true, you see a black dot fall off his body because he's not putting his identity in other people. He's putting his identity in his maker. And I think that's the truth I want to bring to you today. 
Can you pray for us? God, I, I thank you that you are not a distant father, an aggressive dad, an explosive dad, an angry dad, or an abusive dad. Your dad is close to us, and you love us, even when there's nothing lovable within us. You called us to be your children. You loved us enough to die for us, and you keep us secure till the day we die and see you face to face. Help us to remember who we are, that we belong to you. In Jesus' name, amen.